You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. Today we are going to talk about uh, the not fun topic of spiritual warfare, um, but a very necessary one as believers if we want to continue to move forward in the world we're in. We know we're going to face opposition on the daily. So uh, if we can throw up the Lord's Prayer, we've been kind of going through this every single week as a church. And um, I remember growing up, we, I grew up in Presbyterian Church, we'd always kind of do um, you know, liturgical things. And so one of the things we always did was the Lord's Prayer every week, prayer of confession. And there's just something beautiful about the repetition of prayers, repetition of doing the same thing over and over, even though it might think, you know, kind of seem oh, we've done this so much, but I think there's a beauty wrapped in doing something repeatedly. So um, let's all read this together um, as we dig into the word today. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as also we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And depending on how you've grown up and you said that, there's multiple ways we can say that prayer. Um, and so today we're going to be looking into lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, and so we've been reading the book. Has anyone read the book, reading the book, following along? Yeah, right in the back. So um, kind of going through this, and this is a really kind of overview. Um, there's a lot we can talk about in the subject of spiritual warfare, how it affects our daily lives. Um, but kind of one of the main things that we as believers need to kind of come to grips and understand is um, we're at war. Um, there's a war that is waging around us daily in the spiritual realm, and that, that is something that is existing and will always exist. And I know sometimes when we talk about this subject, it can get weird. We can kind of have different opinions. There's all sorts of things. And if you've watched... Um, TBN or anything, you might see different opinions on people and how they view spiritual warfare and how they kind of deal with it. And so um, there's a lot of different ways. But at the end of the day, we can all agree that there is a war happening between good and evil. There's a war happening between Satan and Jesus. And there's ground that Satan is going to go, but then Jesus is going to come back in that. We're going to fight forward and forward and back and forth. But we know Jesus won and Jesus is going to win. And so one of the things when we face this topic and we face this thing is we don't have to face it with fear. Please remember that. We don't face this topic with fear. We don't have to be afraid because of what Jesus has done. And so oftentimes we talk through this and, oh, it's scary and fearful and all these type of things. Yes, there is that. But at the end of the day, Jesus is greater. What he did is overcoming that. And so we don't have to be afraid and be fearful when we talk about these things. Um, So I think, you know, I was kind of thinking through, what are the kind of the misconceptions when we talk through spiritual warfare? Because I think there are quite a few. And depending on, you know, the spiritual background you've had, what kind of church you've grown up in, um, even kind of media and some of the movies we've seen all really kind of show us what happens with this subject. And so, um, you know, kind of something as simple and silly as if, you know, watch cartoons, you see like little uh, angel, little demon, you know, it's kind of like a cute and cuddly demon, you know, but he's, he kind of has a high-pitched voice and he's not really threatening. Um, so you kind of have that. Um, you know, if you've watched a lot of Hollywood films, when we talk about like demon possession, who do they call? They call a Catholic priest. They don't call Ghostbusters. They call Catholic priests, right? And so we sort of have that image of a Catholic priest coming in and kind of doing that. So that sort of imagery we have. Um, another one, depending on kind of how you've experienced, if you walk around in downtown Portland in some of the stores, there's a lot of tarot, um, crystals, New Age theology, and New Age things that exist. And so there's a spiritual aspect of that. Um, you can venture into the occult. You can talk about some of the things that um, we deal with in the occult different religions, um, the Church of Satan. So there's all different ways we can look at this. But at the end of the day, we know there is a battle we are facing. And there's opposition that we daily face. And so a couple more things I kind of want to clear up for us as we venture into this is um, we've probably met this type of person. Um, and maybe we are this person, but evil isn't everything. It's like, oh man, my car broke down. The, the devil did it, you know? Or it's like, it's constant, like, the, de- the devil did everything. Everything's happening. It's the devil, the devil. Oh, man, the devil's pressing hard today. The devil is doing this. Like, it is the worst. And sometimes it's like, is the devil actually doing that? Like, is your life really that bad? Does the enemy care about you that much that he really cares about your car problems? So one of the things is this, is not all evil and sin is from Satan. 
and demons, but some is. So let's make sure we hear that. Not all evil and sin is from Satan and demons, but some is. Um, not all sin is caused by Satan or demons, nor is the major influence or cause of sin demonic activity. But demonic activity is probably a focus in almost all sin and almost all destructive activity that opposes the work of God in the world today. So hear that? Not all sin. So we kind of look at this. So we make sure we're seeing the spectrum that is not all caused by, there's natural things that happen, so it's not all the enemy at every single point in time that's trying to come after us and do something. Um, another thing I want to clear up too is the word demon possession. Um, it's kind of thrown around a lot, and I, and I think in Scripture it's been a, not the best translation that we see when um, Jesus deals with demon possession. Um, maybe the better word is demonic influenced, um, influenced by a demon of some sort, but not necessarily demon possession. Um, and there is a lot of theology and a lot of things of demon possession, but even if we look at believers, um, most of the time a believer can't be demon-possessed. They can be demon-influenced, but never demon-possessed. And so I think that's a really main word to understand and clear up is the demon-possession word. Um, another thing of misconception when we talk about spiritual warfare is the battle between Western culture and the West of the world. So if you have ever traveled foreign, you've been to another country, depending on where you're at, um, there's just a different spiritual feeling. Um, and it depends on where in the world you're at, and they all kind of live out different ways. And so I spent time in Africa. I've been to Central America before. Um, but when I was in Africa, there's some real different spiritual forces that exist. Um, and if you've read missionary biographies or done any research on sort of um, crazy things that have happened in the world, there's just something different when we look cross-culturally at just sort of spiritual battles. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that, but some of it is the way cultures have existed, how old they are, just the spiritual realm that exists and how they, they live and thrive. And so when I was in Africa, I remember um, one of the days we were walking around, so one of our kind of things we were doing there, I was with someone else with a missionary organization, we were going around the community just engaging with people. And so we would do house calls and kind of go around. And uh, we were a couple, the guys were with us that said, hey, you know, we, um, we're going to go to this house, but the person locked themselves in the house and won't come out. I'm like, well, why? And they're like, well, they heard that we were going to come and talk to them about Jesus, so they just locked themselves in the house, and they weren't going to come out. And so then I'm like, okay, let's unpack that. So there was some demonic influence that was happening. Um, so other things that they were dealing with in that area were witch doctors. So um, people will go to witch doctors for healing. Um, so there's this weird thing with pastors and witch doctors and back and forth. And so this battle of enemy of stuff that existed um, for generations of time um, that have been in their culture. And so all sorts of just weird, weird things um, that existed. So even you go down to some areas in Central America, there's other problems with spiritual warfare in terms of how things are done. Um, if you read missionary biographies, uh, I can't remember the story on this one, if it was a biography, but uh, um, it was someone who, uh, they were talking about a story that a missionary was in their house, and they were under attack by the village. And all the village circled around their house. And, you know, the story came out of why they didn't attack, because there was angels all around their household. And so a very real spiritual realm battle that was happening in that, with that person. Um, when I was in college, I started as an intercultural studies major. And um, one of our professors was an awesome man of God, spent a lot of time in the mission field. And he came to our dorm one night and kind of shared all these crazy stories of um, stuff that he experienced in the mission field. You know, when you're 18, 19, kind of hearing this, what? Like, this is crazy that all this stuff happens. He's talking about, I don't even want to talk about it because some of this is like, it just becomes not important details, but just crazy things that are out of the realm of what we would understand is really possible. Um, and I thought one of the things which we'll talk about this more that's really fascinating is he kind of talked about the Western thought and culture. And he got into some of the things that manifest itself in Western culture that, um, we sort of, because we don't really look at everything in the same sense as the rest of the world when it comes to spiritual presence, um, demonic activity. We're sort of like, uh, is that rational? No. Um, can I write that off with science? Sure, that's not possible. Um, so one of the things he said, and we can get this more later, but he talked about kind of the main things that we really battle with, addiction, mental problems, and other um, kind of things that are living in that realm. And so we talked about, um, I think one of his family members had a demonic influence in terms of addiction. So um, again, 
not saying that's a universal thing, so please hear me when we talk about this, but knowing there are some realms in that that exist. So this person, Andrew uh, Delbanco, he wrote this book, um, The Death of Satan, How Americans Have Lost the Sense of Evil. He says, we have jettisoned in the West the idea of cosmic evil or transcendent evil or supernatural evil. We don't deliver it. In fact, we don't like to use the word evil because it implies moral absolutes and valued judgment. So we use medical terms, we talk about dysfunction, we talk about pathology, we don't use moral terminology. But as the 20th century has gone on, it has gotten harder and harder to say that Holocaust and ethnic cleansing and serial killing is just bad psychological and sociological adjustment. So we've replaced biblical cosmology, human, humanistic psychology, um, sociology, and anthropology. Every sin is attributed to societal and clinical abuse, um, addiction, murder, genocide, greed, torture. Um, so we've really just kind of just justified all this stuff to really logical things, tried to say, okay, well, science, psychology, you know, there, there's a, you know, we can find a cure for that. There's something that happened in birth, whatever, that, that that's existed. And so um, there's a real battle in the West in that. Um, another thing, misconception I want to mention is um, wrong place power in Satan. I think sometimes we can, you know, kind of look at Satan as this powerful entity and there's this all this power in it. Yes, there is power, but again, Jesus is greater in that. And so um, if we speak to rebuke a demon, it is important to remember that we need not to fear demons. Although Satan and demons have less power than the power of the spirit at work is it within each one of us. One of Satan's tactics is to attempt to cause us to be afraid. Instead of giving in such fear, we should remind ourselves the truth of Scripture. So not being afraid when we face these things and face these topics. Um, so we're going to go over three things today as we kind of venture into this. And so one of the, we're going to talk about knowing your enemy. We're talking about knowing our authority and then knowing how to fight. So those are going to be our three topics as we kind of venture into today. So the first one, if you want to open up to 1 Peter 5.8, if you've got phones, Bibles, paper, screens, whatever you want to open up to. Um, we're going to be in a few different verses today, so just be prepared. Um, so it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Has anyone ever watched... Uh, any like safari videos of, of lions out in the wild? Like it's pretty crazy when they're looking for something to attack. You know how careful and meticulous they are, waiting for the right moment to jump to find their kill. So saying the enemy, like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, waiting for that right moment to strike. How patient they have to be for that right moment to strike. But the thing here is be of sober mind and be alert. Um, I think it's easy for us to be distracted. It's easy for us to find things um, that don't keep us on alert. It's easy for us to not be of sober mind. And sober mind could be anything. We, we can look at the sober mind aspect of, sure, we can go through substances and those type of things. But I think there's other things outside of substance that can keep us of sober mind. So I think one of the things, um, social media, right? Um, that can keep us from being a sober mind. Um, distraction. Right? That can be keeping us from a sober mind. So there's a lot of things outside of what we think of sober in terms of substance that can keep us away from being alert and ready at all given times. So if we know our enemy, what happens if we're going to go into battle? So if you read any, you know, if there's a lot of war books out there and looking at generals and battle tactics and how they fought and how wars were won. But one of the things is you have to know how, what's your enemy, what you're facing. So a lot of the time you've got to look and say, okay, who are we facing? How are we doing this? What's happening? What's our tactic? What are we doing? What do we need? Um, you know, really, people don't go into battle blind. They're always trying to understand what they're facing because, of course, we all want to succeed in battle. And so everyone's trying to go into that the best way they can. So um, then the question is, so what tactics does the enemy use? What tactics is the enemy trying to win us over and try to win? So one of the first big ones, is this thing even on? I can't even hear myself. Great. Uh, so deception and lies. Um, I think this is a huge one. So biblically, we can look when Jesus is in the wilderness, the enemy is trying to tempt him. There's this battle back and forth. He always fights the deception and the lies with Scripture. Um, but one of the ways that I think deception really works is 
um, through information. And now, I think right now is a perfect example of this. If you've ever watched the news, there's been a threat of a virus. And it's hard to ever know what's true, what's accurate, what's real, what's happening. If I were the enemy, if I'm the enemy, what am I going to do? I want to probably try to get involved in the news, right? I'm going to scare a bunch of people to go buy five packs of toilet paper and be ready for the apocalypse, right? I'm going to try to scare people to see what they can do. And so, again, hear me. I'm not saying that the devil is in charge of the media. Please, I'm not saying that. But there can be some influence in that, in that side of things. And so misinformation is spread, and the enemy can start winning through misinformation. Now, that's on a pretty big level, but even small. Think of like a, a group of friends, right? If you've ever played a good game of telephone and you start, what happens at the very end? It's nothing like when you started. So you talk about information, how that's passed, right? You know, I could say one thing up here, and all of a sudden, you know, you go t take a few people out, you're sitting around talking, they say it, and they're like, oh, you know, well, Jordan said this thing on Sunday. And Ryan comes back to me and said, you know, I heard you said this thing on Sunday, and that wasn't really okay. And be like, actually, it's not really what I said. Um, but you know what I'm saying? So all these things can be skewed over time, and so the enemy can win just when we pass wrong information on. It can just start pretty simply, but he'll get inside and he'll say, okay, if I can just make that just a little bit different, and so these people will start saying different things, and this is going to be bad, game over, right? So what's another big one? Division. So as we were going our uh, series with 1 Corinthians over the summer, we talked about divisions in the church, what was happening in the church at the time, why things were kind of all over the place with people, um, what were the divisions among them. So think of all the divisions that exist that we can kind of list through. I mean, there, there's tons of them, right? The things that we um, see that are differences, the things that we don't want. Oftentimes we are attracted to people that are the same as us because we want to see things and have people that agree with us. Um, so usually divisions, right, they happen inside of us first. Um, there's something inside of us that shifts and that changes that we want, which then continues to move on. And if there's a division, what can happen? You move to anger. Um, there's hurt. There's resentment. There's unforgiveness. There's fears. There's misunderstandings. There's greed. There's pride. There's arrogance. The list goes on, all from divisions. And so um, as we look at deceptions and lies and divisions, um, Unforgiveness can be very, very, very deadly. Um, and you think of little things, and these are all little things that the enemy can get a foothold in, right? This person did something to me, I'm so mad, and then all of a sudden, years go on and you're bitter, and all these things continue to happen because of one little instance of maybe misinformation that happened. And the enemy continues to win and gain ground over that. So, again, issues with that. So another one, discouragement. Um, this one's crazy to me because I... I feel like there's been a lot of times in my life when I've been discouraged. And um, I remember one time particularly, um, I was at another church, I was leaving, everything was good, right? Everything in my life was good, there wasn't anything bad, as far as I know, like everything is good. And I'm sitting in my car, and I'm literally sitting there, and I'm like, the world is falling apart. Like, my, my life, I, I don't know what I'm doing, why am I doing this, I just need to redo everything, like, I need to reassess, what, you know, what's going on, and I'm just getting discouraged in every little thing. And eventually I kind of stop and snap out of it. I'm like, what, what am I doing? This, this isn't me. This isn't what's happening in my life right now. Why, why am I so distracted by this? Why am I so discouraged by everything that's happening when everything around me is good? Well, the enemy, right? The enemy is going to try to get in there to discourage everything that's good in your life to make you off track. He's going to discourage you so you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing so you forget all the good that's in your life. So discouragement is a huge thing. Um, the devil discourages us with open-fed aspirations, right? There is always room for improvement. You're never good enough. Do better. And some of these are serious things. I'm always a person that likes to do things better. I'm getting better at not being better. Does that make sense? But over time, it's always like, I have to be perfect, do all these things right, the right way, but it's okay. Right? The enemy will say, no, 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 you need to do that right. Keep doing it. You're not good enough. Right? You're good. You're good. But the enemy says, no, you're not good enough. So he's going to discourage us. There are simple things that can happen that are discouragement, like fatigue, personal setbacks. There's a lot of things in the human condition in life that can discourage us, but the enemy can move in those things and gain more power in each one of those discouragements. So the last one that the enemy can really work through is temptation. Um, so here's a definition of this. Uh, the temptation is the intentional enticement of a person by some bait, usually pride, 
always self-gratifying, to disobey God's revealed word. The predicate may be demonic or fleshly, but the object is always the distortion of God's world and the defiance of God's mission in the world. So I think oftentimes temptation feels left field, right? You're going along your day, you're doing something, and there's things that we're always tempted by. But I think oftentimes there are just these random left field temptations that come up that just doesn't, you're like, that doesn't even feel like me. Like that happened, I did this, whatever happened. And after it, you're like, you know, maybe you said something, you did something, there's a character piece that happened. You know, some anger really rose up in you and then you stopped and you're like, that, that wasn't me. When the enemy can get a hold of us in moments like that and tempt us to do something. And so if you've ever, um, just think of Jesus in those moments when he's fighting these battles. You know, he's experiencing all these tactics from the enemy at once. Deception, division, confusion, diversion, discouragement, temptation. Like all of these at the same time, and he still overcomes all of this. Like thinking the human side of that, and knowing like I probably, I mean, I'm not going to make it one day without probably being tempted. Um, and probably failing at that. But just knowing the turmoil that would exist in Jesus to continue to walk in that. And knowing for 40 days I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast. And the enemy is like, well, no, you just, just eat, you know. Or Jesus, hey, you know, you can have all this if you choose this way. But every single moment, he always said God's way is better. Didn't mean it was easier. Didn't mean it was going to be easy. But he said God's way is better. And he always used scripture. Um, I'm sorry, I forgot one on here, uh, so we'll go back. Um, diversion and confusion. Um, so diversion being is the God, the God's plan for us. Um, so the enemy will try to divert us from that plan, right, to make us get off track, get us distracted. You know, we sort of have that track of what we're doing. We all have the universal track of continuing to move forward to share the gospel, to preach the good news, to love people, to share that in the world around us. But getting us off track of that, getting us to the side, making it messy, getting us distracted, um, with all sorts of things that happen along the journey, they get us all over the place. Um, and so some of this can be anxiety and fear, right? These things can cripple into what is God wanting to do, and then the enemy kind of changes that a little bit. So well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you fear and anxiety over that. Um, those are very real things. Those are very real things. And those are also part of the human condition. Um, but some of those things can be more that the enemy is trying to pull us in a direction and show us something different that might be different from what God has for us. And those are very real, and so we want to know those things. Um, so N.T. Wright says this, When human beings worship that which is not God, they give authority to forces of destruction and malevolence, and those forces gain a power. So when human beings worship that which is not God, they give authority to forces of destruction. Does that make sense? So if we're worshiping up anything that isn't God, there's going to be more power in that. So if we're worshiping, you know, you name it, it can be, our media, our life, money, power, whatever it is, it's putting that away from God and giving us power in something different. And so it gets foothold to the enemy, continue to grow. Um, so it's right place worship and who God is. We come back, we worship him, um, and we do those things. So that's a little bit of knowing our enemy. That's a pretty big overview. Um, there's a lot of different ways the enemy works. And now the next thing would be know your authority. So Ephesians 1, 20 to 21, I'll let you uh, turn there. If you do, or you have paper, uh, keep your finger on Ephesians. Um, also, we're going to be in Luke 10, uh, 17, and 10, 19. Um, so just be aware of that. So in Ephesians 1, 20 to 21, he says, He exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So kingdom authority is what we're talking about, is the authority. Now, um, I always like to use Google. Um, I think Google's a fun thing to type in something and kind of see what happens. And when you type in the word authority, or authority in scripture, right, um, there's a lot of things that pop up. And we don't have a ton of time to unpack all the things that have to do with authority, but um, I think the subject can get really, really crazy to an extent because um, people start preaching and teaching this power that exists within authority. And yes, we have power because of who Jesus is and God in us. But sort of this way off the scale power that you can have if you just dial into God's authority for what, what he has. You know, and so there, there's messages and there's sermons and there's books and there's all these things about wrong place authority um, and what we can do because of God's power. And yes, 
God is powerful. We can do things uh, that are amazing and out of this world. But I don't know if that's always the thing we should be pursuing at every point in time. It's a wrong place authority sometimes. And so this, I love this quote. It says, kingdom authority is a divinely authorized right-hand responsibility. So that's you and me. It has been delegated to believers to act on God's behalf in spiritually ruling over his creation underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. So kingdom authority is a divinely authorized right-hand responsibility that has been delegated to you and me to act on God's behalf in spiritually ruling over his creation underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. So ultimately, spiritual authority is delivered through faith in Jesus Christ. So in this passage, right, when Jesus dies, all authority, he's seated in heaven, and that authority, we get to use that. And so I think the thing, key, key thing here, excuse me, is seated, right? There's something that was finished. When the battle is won on the cross, Jesus is on the throne, he is seated. Now just the imagery, right? So he's walking, he's living his life, he's, he's battling with the enemy. He's done, he's seated. Just imagine that, walking this life that he did and being seated at the right hand of the Father. So there's something that is done. So if we go back to Luke, there, there's uh, 1017, he says he gave power and authority over demons. Um, and so when he sent out the disciples, he said, hey, you know, don't take anything, go out in the world, I give you power and authority over the enemy. And so they went out, they did all these amazing things, they came back, gave Jesus a report of what happened. So that was placed authority on them by Jesus to go out into the world and to deliver that. And so we as believers have access to that. So we have authority and dominion over the enemy. So we go out, we pray. And so concentrating on prayer a little bit when we've been going through this series is, I mean, we haven't really talked about the spiritual warfare thing today. Um, what happens in the realm when all these things are happening? When the enemy wants to get to us. Um, but what does that actually look like to pray? Um, so we're going to get to a little bit more, um, but just let's camp out on authority just a little bit more here first. Um, when we engage in spiritual warfare, we don the mantle given us as sons and daughters of the king. It's ridiculous when we just roll over and submit to the enemy because you are in Christ and God has placed all things under his feet. So we don't have to just kind of rest whatever the enemy is going to be there. It's no, God has given us authority. So we're going to pray and we're going to pray strong and we're going to pray. We're not going to stop, and the enemy is not going to do anything. We have that authority and that power. I, got, I think, but the let's that settle in, we have that authority and power. Like Jesus did that. What was done on the cross was given to us. That battle was ultimately won. We know we fight the battle daily with the enemy, but he's not going to win. Jesus is always going to win. So we have that power and authority. So anything that is wrong, the enemy is doing, the enemy is trying to get in to distract, discourage, whatever, we're going to win. But we got to pray. We got to pray in those words. And so when Jesus was praying, when he would go up to people who were um, severely influenced, he did it through prayer. He did it through scripture, speaking truth. That truth is always going to win. That truth is always going to be the battle plan for the enemy. And so in light of that, um, we got to know how to fight, right? We got to know how to fight. And I, I think sometimes this imagery, when we talk about battling and fighting and armor and all this kind of stuff, like, it's not always stuff that I identify with. Um, um, even when it comes to really masculine things, like I'm like, cool. Like I've, <laughs> the last church I was at, it's really embarrassing, but we did like an illustration thing at a men's thing, and I had to wear, um, they're called morph suits or something. You know, they're like really tight latex skin suits, and the whole thing was like to put armor on. Very embarrassing because you're basically felt like you're nude in front of a bunch of people, but I, I did it as a good pastor should. Um, so the image of putting on all this armor, and eventually, like, it was super heavy. Like, and we were using military gear, but it was like trying to walk and do anything was crazy because of all this armor that was being put on to protect against the enemy. And so we got to know how to fight. Um, so go back to Ephesians 6, 11 through 18. We're going to camp out there a little bit, kind of talk through that, but um, kind of even thinking through that of knowing you know, if you've watched any medieval things or any armor and seeing how armor is made and, you know, if you think of chain metal and how each thing is done to make that work. Um, there's no holes in anything. So, the, you know, when you would fight in tactical battle, you would try to find the weakness in someone's armor to win, right? What's that thing that I can get through that's going to do that? And so the enemy will do that to us. 
what's the one thing I can try to find in someone's armor that isn't working, right? Oh, they're not a sober mind, right? I'm going to find that spot. I'm going to get in. We've got to know how to fight. We've got to know how to put our armor on. And so um, there's a few things with this. So we talk through prayer, right? Knowing, knowing how to pray. And um, there's three qu- things we need to ask. So we approach praying. This is in the book that uh, Pete Gregg did. But um, he says we need to do diagnosis. What's the enemy's strategy against this person or place? So we need wisdom and spiritual discernment. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the ability to distinguish between spirits, right? This is a gift that existed. Um, people who have immense discernment um, is really incredible because um, they can see kind of, oh, is this good? Is this bad? I don't like this. I have a feeling. Um, we need to pray to have our eyes open to what's around us. So when we walk through our daily lives, right, we, it's easy to just kind of just do things, um, to watch things, to listen to things, to read things, but to open our eyes, right? Um, to give us a discerning spirit to understand the things that are around us. And so we pray, you know, asking the question, um, what's the strategy against this person or place? Um, because that when we deal with that in prayer, there might be something that we need to do differently. A question we might need to ask differently. Um, so approaching that. So second, a prognosis. Having diagnosed a problem, so we see, okay, what's the problem? Ask yourself, what might God's better plan be for this person or place? Listen to his word and his promises. So what would be God's better plan? So you deal with something in prayer. What is God's ultimate plan that he would want? And so we can see that in scripture. There's a number of different passages that we can go to and see what he would want to do with that. And then third, prescription. Having discerned what Satan is trying to do and what God is wanting to do, ask yourself, what can I now do? both prayfully and practically, to thwart Satan's plan and welcome God's better purposes in this person, place, or situation. So what does God want you to do? Ask yourself, what can I do now, both prayerfully and practically? So when we pray, we go through these things. We talk through these things. Say, what can I do now when we pray? So in Ephesians 6 to 11... 11 through 18, he says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For a struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit and the word of God and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. So Paul talks about standing firm in spiritual warfare. Um, The phrase stand firm, when used in military sense, has the idea of holding a critical position under attack. We talk about believers, right? We hold critical position under attack, under the opposition of the enemy. What position are we holding? What position are we strong in as the enemy attacks? He mentions our need to stand firm, or stand four times. Essentially, he says, the wobbly Christian... The one not serious about God and trapped in sin cannot stand in this war. He will be destroyed. Sadly, many fail to stand in this battle. So there's just a, pre- a preparedness that we must have as we face this. And it's not saying anything else besides the fact that we just have to be prepared. We have to wake up in the morning. We have to know what the battle is. We have to know how we're going to battle and fight. And I think it's easy just to go along our day, not really actively think. Um, we can go on potentially days, years and not really thinking through um, how do we prepare? Um, how, do, how do we listen? How do we not let the enemy gain more ground in our life? It might not be our life. It might be in our family, in our households, in our communities, in our jobs, um, whatever you name. How is the enemy gaining in that? So to break this part a little bit more, he says, wielding the sword of the Spirit. Um, so what is this? Is memorizing Scripture is really sharpening your sword. Um, I'd say I'm probably not the best at memorizing scripture. I'm way better at memorizing um, office quotes from the TV show. Um, but I think there's a real, and I, I should rephrase that. <laughs> I still know where stuff is in scripture, and you can memorize stuff. But what I'm saying is I think it's easy to sometimes remember 
um, things that are not scripture. But I think the fascinating thing to me is we have more access to scripture than we've ever had. We have more tools to memorize scripture than we've ever had. Um, there's a cool thing called the Bible Project on YouTube, and they're doing stories of um, just to let people learn what scripture is. And they're doing crazy things with media. And so the amount of resources and things we have to memorize scripture. And the fascinating thing is, um, if you look old world church history, um, most of the time it would be one Bible, one person was educated to know that scripture, and they would tell that to everyone else. They would read the scripture and everyone would memorize that scripture because of what someone said. Um, if you think of even Jewish history, um, people were taught to memorize scripture. Jesus knew scripture because he was taught to know scripture. Know the Pentateuch, know the Old Testament, know what it says, right? Um, so there's an aspect of this that we need to understand Scripture and know what it says. And so how do we do that? We read and we memorize. And when I say read, I mean you can do devotion route. There's a number of different ways you can approach it. But simply is, is actively reading Scripture part of our lives? Are we reading it? Are we memorizing it? Are we comprehending what is being said? Because there's powerful, powerful, powerful things in Scripture that we can use the enemy against us. So read scripture. That's how we sharpen that sword. So wearing the shoes of the gospel of peace. We are in a state of readiness, right? You know, think of all a good running shoe. What does a good running shoe do? Well, it's, it's comfortable and it's more comfortable if you run further. Think of all the performance-related shoes that exist, right? They, they make you run faster. Or a basketball shoe makes you jump higher, right? You know, you want to buy a pair of Jordans because you're going to jump like Jordan, right? So there's a certain aspect that a shoe is going to make you do something differently. So think of being ready, right? It's been a state of readiness, always being prepared to share the gospel. We march into uncharted territory and proclaim his good news. Put on those shoes, right? We jump, jump into new territory, right? There's some dark territories in the world. But we go in, we regain what the kingdom is, and we release that power there. You know, Ryan goes in another country and shares the gospel. You know, he's just smuggling in sound equipment, right? And um, whatever it is, you know, when we go out into the world around us, we might have family members, right? It's uncharted territory. We're ready with the scripture. We're ready with the message of Jesus, right? Whatever conversation that is. And sometimes being ready is just simply knowing Scripture and just being ready for those moments. It doesn't matter what it is, when it is, but we're ready. You know, you're in Starbucks. Someone comes up and, you know, what are you reading? Oh, I'm reading Scripture, right? I'm ready to have a conversation. Um, you know, you hear a knock on the door. Who is it? It's, you know, Church of Latter-day Saints. Well, come on in. Let's talk about Scripture. You know, whatever it is, be ready Know your scripture and be ready for those moments. Um, it's funny because I'm forever knocked off the list of um, Mormons that come to my door. They came once and they never came again. So um, because it was a very, very in-depth, long conversation, they're like, well, this isn't really a normal house call for us. I'm like, yeah, sorry, I know too much. Um, but we spent a long time talking through scripture because what they're sharing to me, I'm like, well, that's, that's not what I understand scripture. And so we spent a long time kind of having a lively conversation about scripture and um, the message of Jesus. And so again, be ready. You never know when those times happen. And I will always open my door if someone else wants to come to my door because um, there's opportunities to share. So again, it wasn't a one-time conversation. Said, hey, you guys, you're welcome to come back. You know, if you want to come, we do a young adult group here. Come on over and hang out. They never did. But again, being ready for opportunities as they come up to share the gospel. Um, so stand firm in the opposite spirit. So you take a stand against the enemy when you forgive. You take a stand when you preach the gospel. You take a stand when you care for the poor. You stand up for someone or you create or you're bringing goodness to a place doing the opposite. So standing firm in the opposite spirit. So just think about that. You're taking a stand when you forgive, right? The enemy's not going to have a foothold in unforgiveness when you forgive. Now, if you look at something around you and you say, okay, you know, I'm going to preach the gospel. The enemy doesn't have the power. People now know who Jesus is. Take that stand, right? You can think the devil's getting another punch. Um, when you care for the poor, right? You go out and you serve around the homeless downtown. If there's anyone, you say, hey, you know, I want you to have this food, have this meal, whatever. There's another punch to the devil. You just keep thinking through all these things of what's happening when we're gaining more ground when we share and move forward with um, the world around us. So now a few more thoughts on fighting. And we kind of have this imagery, and it's not my favorite word in imagery, but it's what's in Scripture, so we're going to use it. Um, so one of the things is uh, we must be dependent. Again, Ephesians 6.10 says, can be translated, find your strength in the Lord. We need to depend on God's stand in this battle. Sadly, too many Christians are independent, right? We want to do things our way. We don't need help from other people. 
Um, I think this is an easy one too as well. You know, I don't need to go to church. I can just sit at home and watch things on the internet and I don't need a community. So what the main focus of this is community, right? To not be independent. Um, so we must be dependent. Why is this so common? Because, I'm sorry, I just lost my spot here. You do this in the lack of desire to read Bible, pray, or fellowship with other believers. Why is it so common? Is because they are too independent. They believe they can make it on their own. However, the very opposite is true. We can do nothing or repeat nothing without Christ. We are like sheep without a shepherd. We are like branches apart from the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, he can do nothing. So being dependent, right, that's an easy way that we can do that. But how do we fight that? We're together in community. You know, we show up on Sunday morning. We engage in conversation with each other. And we worship God together. We take the elements together. We listen to the word together. Again, c- together, community, all these type of things. That's how we fight, is not trying to be independent. So we must be disciplined. Um, who thinks a soldier's disciplined? I think so, right? So if someone goes to the military, what happens? They are trained. They're told what to do. Um, they're, very, they're physically fit. They are ready. Um, they are told how to fight. They're told what to do. They're told what to use. They're told how to conduct, engage, all those type of things. They are ready, right? They are trained. They are disciplined. So are we disciplined? Are we? Are we disciplined? Be strong means that it's not once and for all event. Be strong, but a constant strengthening through God. The implication of this is we need discipline. If it were a one-time event, we could stop working, but it's not. We need to continue to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Discipline is not only necessary to be empowered by God, but also to put on his character, his armor. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, Discipline yourselves unto godliness, or, as it can also be translated, exercise yourselves unto godliness. We need to practice spiritual disciplines, prayer, Bible reading, fellowship, serving, solitude, giving, and do this daily in order to become holy. Um, that's not a word we really like, discipline, right? We talk about spiritual disciplines, um, but there's something about it that's just the constant state of being disciplined. You know, it's sometimes the mornings, and I, I really don't want to wake up. I really don't want to read my Bible. It's easy for me to just grab my coffee. It's easy for me to um, grab my phone and read the news, whatever it is. Like, the disciplines that continue to keep us in line with who God is. And so for all of us, those disciplines are going to look differently. They're going to act differently. They're going to be different. But we know those disciplines are going to keep us to God. And some of those disciplines are going to carry us in those moments in time where we feel maybe God is distant, right? When God isn't always there, but we know he's there, but just for us at that moment in time, it just doesn't feel that he's that close. But being in that constant state of being disciplined, constantly. Because if the enemy, right, if we're not disciplined, I'm going to come right in. I'm going to swoop right in. There are some lies I'm going to throw in. I'm, I'm going to have my way. And sometimes we have those moments in life where our lives just feel like it's just blown up. Right? Everything is happening all at once. Nothing's right. Nothing's good. Family's a mess. My life's a mess. My relationships are a mess. Everything. Right? But if we pause and step back for a second, go to Scripture, memorize the goodness of who God is, what Jesus has done, there's still the realities in the mess, but is there more to it in that mess? Is there more to it than recognizing who Jesus is? Is there more to that? And next, we must be thorough. Paul says to put on the full armor of God. Partial preparation will not do. Right? A soldier doesn't go into battle and say, well, I got my helmet, so I'm ready, right? The full armor. Partial preparation will not do. If there are any chinks in our armor which symbolizes our character, That exactly is what the enemy will attack. If we commonly struggle with unforgiveness, lust, anger, or lack of self-control, the enemy will attack in those areas. We must be thorough in this battle. In physical warfare, little compromises can sometimes be captured or killed. But it is the same in spiritual warfare. We must constantly repent of our sins and seek to get right with God. We must be thorough putting on the full armor of God. So I want to say that again. We commonly struggle with unforgiveness. We've seen a pattern here. We talk a lot about unforgiveness. Lust, anger, or lack of self-control, the enemy will attack in those areas. Um, there's some truth to that. Um, there's power that the enemy can have in those things. So, simply say it now. Unforgiveness, lust, anger, or self-control. 
areas maybe for this week to think through, to assess in our lives. Is there any unforgiveness in my life? Is there someone I need to forgive? Um, is there any um, lust that's happening in my life that I'm not sure of, that's just happening, that's sort of gone uncontrolled? Is there any anger towards anyone particular, or is this the spirit of anger that's always constantly, whether it's against some of my family or someone at work? We've all had those moments where there's outbursts of anger, but is there more of a character thing that's continuing to happen? Um, how do we soften our hearts in that? Or self-control. And there's a number of different things we cannot have self-control over, and I think self-control is extremely difficult, especially in this day and age, because we have access to anything and everything, right? I mean, we can literally do whatever we want, when we want, and however we want. I mean, I can sit at my house and order Postmates nonstop, right? I don't have to go anywhere. In fact, I mean, you don't have to go anywhere anymore. You'll have Whole Foods deliver your groceries. You'll have Amazon deliver everything. Now Postmates is doing their coronavirus uh, thing, so they'll leave your food and just ditch you so they don't actually have to talk to you. Um, so now that's new. So again, all these things, we have access to anything and everything. So how do we have self-control, really, um, in that? And so, you know, knowing Apple now has placed um, kind of filters or, I guess, timers on your phone so you know if you've spent two hours on Facebook. That's a long time, but I'm just saying um, there are things to let you know, sort of guide rails, and so self-control doesn't get out of the way. Um, I know there's some people where... Um, you know, they don't have, I should say, a drinking problem per se, but knowing that they struggle with the ability to have self-control in drinking. So they choose not to drink. It's not saying that they're an alcoholic or it's a real problem, but knowing that, that there's not control in that. We look at self-control in eating. We can look in self-control in all sorts of different things. But do we have a self-control issue um, that the enemy can try to come in and have control over us? Because I think the greatest thing is when we regain control. And so I know one of the things... Um, Years and years ago, I was very out of shape, um, didn't do anything active. I mean, the thought of running 400 meters probably would have been torture. So talked to someone, um, got in shape, um, started eating healthy, and kind of everything shifted. And I noticed when I had self-control in eating, I held self-control in a lot of different areas. Because I think part of self-control is the ability to say no. Um, the power of being able to say no is like, you know, I can eat that, but I'm going to choose not to. I could spend 10 more minutes on my phone, but I'm going to choose not to. So the ability to say no to something, it's a practice that I feel like we probably don't use that much, but to say no to something. You know, I'm going to say no to this work thing so I can spend time with my family. Um, I'm going to say no to this other event so I can spend more time here. I'm going to say no to this so I can do something else. So knowing that simple thing of saying no. So we must be thorough in this battle. If we're going to stand in this battle, we must be prepared by knowing our weakness, depending on God, being disciplined, and being thorough. So we do all this, right? Um, how do we do this? What do we do with it? We simply pray. Um, you know, when we start facing the enemy, we say, God, you know, by the blood of Jesus, I want this to be gone. You know, enemy, you do not have control here. You know, we pray those things, especially when we move into a new place. You know, we don't want the enemy to have control um, thinking through the enemy is when we go to somewhere new, um, that there's anything that's been there, we don't want that to be there anymore. Um, when we feel those things inside of us, right, when someone feels like, I just, this doesn't feel right. Something doesn't feel good. So we pray. We say, no, the enemy doesn't have the power here anymore. The enemy doesn't have that power over me. The enemy does not have the power over us, right? By the blood of Jesus, that has been done. That battle has been won. So give us the strength to walk in that and move forward, and we pray. But just simply praying. Um, and some of Pete Gregg's stuff, he's got amazing, amazing stories of what's been happening just through prayer. Um, one of the stories he shares about in one of his books, um, Red Moon Rising, is he talks about um, there's this party island in um, Ibiza in Europe, and it's just sort of a just anything goes party 24-7. I mean, probably in Vegas on steroids, essentially. Um, and so, again, people say, well, I don't want to go there. So they would send teams of people to go there. And I mean, it's just like nighttime happens, everything comes alive, and they're going out in the streets just praying, ministering to people. In a place where you could probably argue that darkness has a huge hold over people. But people say, no, we're going to gain ground, we're going to go in, we're going to pray, and we're going to do something different. Um, and so that's in his book. It's pretty amazing stories about what happened when they were praying with people and ministering to people in the basically chaos. Um, people are drunk, they're on drugs, there's immorality happening everywhere, like it's just crazy. 
But what happens when we simply pray? We take a step back and we try to go into uh, enemy territory and gain ground. So we got to do that in our lives. We can do that in the things around us, in our communities, um, our places, anything public, all those type of things. But just remember as we face those battles and we go into those things, we're not doing it alone. We're doing it as a community. So if you ever feel there's a moment where you're going through something, um, the enemy's having a foothold, um, just remember to not do it just alone. Um, it's easy to try to be independent. You know, I'm going to fight this on my own. I don't need anyone's help. It's just God and me, whatever. But no. Come to someone in here. You know, say, hey, I need some help. I'm trying to walk through something right now. I feel like the enemy's really got a stronghold in my life. I need help. Come walk with me in this. Come assist me in this. And walk through it together. Um, that's why we're here as a community. That's why we're here as the church together is to walk. Imagine as we approach the enemy together, Right? Oftentimes, someone doesn't go into battle and say, oh, I'm just going to you know, just armor up and just try to do it myself. Well, no, there's an army, right? There's a group of people who do it together. They fight together because they want to see something different. Like if we just fight alone all the time, probably not going to win. There's something more when we gather in small groups and we pray. If you have a group of people that you gather with to pray, to share what's happening in your hearts and your lives, the things you're struggling with, where the enemy might say, trying to get a foothold, and you say, hey, you know, just be praying for me to be together in that. And that's how we fight together. To not fight alone, to not think that we have to do it all on our own. Because um, that's what the enemy wants, right? We'll just get them alone and find some chinks in their armor and that'll be that. Easy. So I don't want to live a life that gives the enemy an easy time on me. So that's oftentimes, you know, when the enemy is going to be hardest is when we're, you know, things are good. Things are trucking along. We're sharing the gospel. There's all sorts of amazing things happening. Of course the enemy is going to get in that. He doesn't want any of that. He doesn't want that to happen. So again, we don't approach that with fear. We approach that and say, no, enemy's not going to have that power. I'm not going to give it to him. So we approach that differently, and we approach that with grace and love and strength and in the blood of Jesus. And so um, that's how we do it. So I'm going to invite Nate up here. Um, we're going to turn to the tables um, and communion offering together. And just as we approach the tables, and I know we kind of talked about some of those four things, you know, unforgiveness, self-control, um, anger, lust, any of those type of things. Um, before you take that bread and take that meal, just to pray, um, to center your heart on God, maybe identify some things that are maybe in there. Or if you don't know, ask God to reveal those things to you. Um, if there's anything in your life that might be a foothold for the enemy to step into, to have control, you know, for let, um, to pray that and let God just show you. You know, maybe there's something in you um, that the enemy can have a foothold in. Say, no, no, I don't want that. I want to live a life after God and for him and through him. And so knowing that that is there. So pray that as you go to the table. And even be in reflection about that this week. As you approach maybe your um, devotional time. Um, if it's to be more disciplined, whatever it is. But to think through how it is and what it is. You need to be right with God. And knowing if there's any, again, any spot the enemy has a stronghold. Pray that. If you're not sure, go to someone around you that you trust. And have them pray for you. Talk with them not let the enemy have a stronghold in our lives. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make Him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.